I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. It was an announcement that caught the room by surprise. The United States Department of State is pleased to announce a reward of up to $5 million for information leading to the financial disruption of the KTCO or the arrest and convictions of its leaders. The Kinahin Transnational Crime Organization is a billion-dollar criminal gang with its roots in Dublin, sanctioned for links with international terror organisations. The Kinahins are very unusual, and I would regard them as almost unique. They have managed to attain a status that that I haven't previously encountered with organised crime gangs. They're really like a James Bond villain at this stage. Who are they? How did they get so big? And what will happen now they've been sanctioned? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, sitting in for Manveen Rana. Today, the Kinahins, the crumbling of a billionaire crime family. It's the kind of story that, like me, you might have missed. But believe me, when we get into this, you are going to be fascinated. In April, sanctions were imposed on three members of a family who run a gang said to be worth over a billion dollars, linked with international drug trafficking, money laundering, murder and terrorist organisations. Announcing the sanctions in Dublin, the US government revealed it's targeted the family in the same way as it would come for Mexican drug cartels. And yet, all three men are still living freely. One man who's following the story closely, reporting on the family for the Sunday Times, is... John Moody, I am an investigative journalist with the Sunday Times based in Dublin. John, I want to understand, first of all, who are the Kinnahans? The Kinnahan Crime Cartel are an organised crime group, which is based in Dubai, but it is comprised of people from Dublin. It is led by Christy Kinnahan Sr., who runs this, I suppose, international drug trafficking organisation in conjunction with his two sons, Daniel and Christopher Jr. They currently operate and live in Dubai, but their tentacles stretch right across the world. They have criminal operations as far away as Australia, right into South Africa, South America, North America, and right across Europe. 
At this point, John, I would normally be getting quite anxious about everything you've just said because we have to be careful about what we accuse people of and what allegations we make and without giving people a a chance to reply. Why are we so free to speak about these people? Well, the activities of the Kenhan crime cartel have been well documented in the Irish media and indeed the Sunday Times for a long time now. But the US Treasury Department listed the Kinahans as a sanctioned entity and indeed offered rewards, collective rewards of $15 million for information on Christopher Vincent Kinahan, Daniel Joseph Kinahan, and Christopher Kinahan Jr. This reward is offered under the Department of State's Transnational Organized Crime Rewards Program. This was a complete game changer in terms of European police agency efforts to confront this gang. The fact that the, the American authorities have actually issued reward posters for these people, and they've actually circulated these in various languages right across the world. So there's no real issue about what these people do anymore. They regard themselves as business people who run various types of legitimate industries. But for a long time, they've been named in Irish courts and in some UK courts, I understand, as being an organised crime gang. The Kinnans now have a problem because the actions taken by the US Treasury prohibits anyone who engages in business with the US to have any connections with them whatsoever. They can't travel internationally. They have difficulties using any sort of uh, credit cards or debit cards or bank accounts. The decision by the US authorities to actually openly declare war on them left really no room for doubt about this anymore. It's quite clear now that they are public enemy number one amongst law enforcement agencies right across Europe. Just a thought, John, have you ever felt yourself in danger as a result of reporting this story? During the years, there was certain information that the Sunday Times obtained that we didn't publish because I was uh, pretty sure we would have had lots of security problems as a result of that. There comes a point where criminal organisations become so dangerous that you, you do, as a journalist, have to be very careful about how you deal with them, how you go about investigating their activities and what you say and what you don't say. I mean, we broke lots of different stories on this group. I remember at one stage, someone gave me information on how they communicated with each other. We did a couple of stories on this. And, you know, you'd be very cautious of your own security after that. But I would be lying if if I said we hadn't had problems in the past with some of this. As we begin to understand then a bit more about them, can you describe them to us? And I, I mean physically, what do they look like? What are they like? What do we know about them? Well, Christopher Kinnahan is a typical Dubliner. He is a very bright and intelligent man. He has a number of convictions for drug trafficking and his rise on the international criminal scene has been meteoric. He was released from uh, prison in Ireland in the 90s. And while he was in prison, it should be stated, he learned to speak several languages and he also obtained two degrees, one in environmental science and the other one in philosophy. But when he emerged from prison, he decided to build this big criminal operation. These days, he's a very smart dressed man. He oozes up wealth, but he's very unremarkable. His two sons, Again, they are ordinary Dublin men. They're not particularly well educated, certainly not to the level their father would be. They are, again, just normal looking people. The only thing that differentiates them is that they ooze up wealth. They collectively have assets now 
somewhere in the region of a billion euros, um, which makes them extraordinarily wealthy people. Indeed, there's very few legitimate businesses could even attempt to generate those sort of profits in such a small amount, of, a short amount of time. So if you met these people, they speak like normal Dublin people. They probably use coarse language now and again, but they're very unremarkable people to look at. Of course. So they reside in Dubai. Are all of them there? Do they operate as a unit at all times? When Chrissy Kinahan began to build his operation, they initially moved to Marbella and they accumulated vast quantities of wealth whilst living there. And the key to their success was they managed to wholesale drugs and take themselves out of street dealing. So they provide huge quantities of cocaine to other criminal groups across Europe. And indeed, they spread their activities right across the world. They're logistical geniuses. They're very good at organising shipments of illicit contraband, but also money laundering. They've also moved into cybercrime, lots of different types of crime. So when they were in Spain, they had built up a formidable presence there. There are suggestions they also corrupted law enforcement. No one seemed to be able to do anything about them. There were a succession of investigations led by the Irish authorities that always collapsed at the last hurdle. Something went wrong and there were many cases of money being seized from these people and returned to them um, just as fast. However, in 2016, there was an attempt made on Daniel Kinnan's life during a visit to Dublin. I should warn you now that you might find some of the following audio distressing. Daniel Kinahan was attending the weigh-in for a boxing match he was helping to promote, when gunmen dressed in security service uniforms burst into the room at an upmarket hotel and started shooting. Kinahan escaped through a fire exit, but one of his associates was killed. The attack was caught on video from the weigh-in. And that seemed to have provoked or prompted, number one, a response where they entered into feuds with gangs in Dublin, but they also decided to relocate to Dubai. Now, there are various logistical reasons why they did that. Dubai has become, in the past decade, a centre for illicit activity by organised crime groups from right around the world. But they could also live there in a very safe environment. But more to the point, there is also no extradition treaties between Dubai and Europe um, that are formalised. I suppose when we think about cartels, a lot of us will conjure a stereotypical image, uh, the kind of palatial lifestyle with bodyguards and security around and untouchable by the police, while uh, sort of spanning a huge network of people that do, in inverted commas, the dirty work, I suppose, and, and running that network. How stereotypical are the Kinahins? Do they live up to that image that perhaps is the one that a lot of us are holding in our minds right now? They are both conventional and unconventional. So if anyone crosses these people, they face an immediate problem insofar as we've had 18 murders linked into a feud that this group have engaged in, fought on the streets of Dublin since 2016. And on the other hand, they purport to be very well-to-do businessmen who are very plausible in their professional dealings with people. I was uh, interviewing an intelligence officer about Chrissy Kinhan Sr. And he told me that 
There are maybe five or six major criminal organizations based in Dubai at the moment, but the Kenyans have become the biggest because they have the ability to network more successfully than anyone else. And indeed, as it often said, that Irish people and our foreign ministry are very good at lobbying. The Kenyans have replicated this in many ways because they seem to have connections with all different types of organized crime gangs around the world who trust them and who believe in them and extend them credit and will give them the benefit of doubt and have complete and utter faith in their ability to protect themselves in terms of their own internal security apparatus. They're a mixture of everything. They're a very unusual group of criminals. I've never quite encountered anything like it. We will return to, I think, lots of these uh, factors in a sec. I just want to ask about the intelligence officer that you spoke to. I wonder if you got any sense of frustration from the officer about the fact the Kinahins are living at large. They're kind of doing what they want, despite this reward being offered by US authorities that actually they are able to just carry on. So when you talk to intelligence officers and that officer that I referred to there, he was of the view that this would certainly have interrupted their activities. Of course, it's very difficult to be a police officer in Ireland investigating a group uh, which is based in Dubai and is outside the reach of the European Union. So you can't extradite them, you can't arrest them, you can't even detain them for questioning or anything like that. And whether you can accurately or adequately move against their assets really does remain to be seen. But that has been a source of frustration for the Irish authorities for many years now. But there is a sense that life is changing for the Kinahans for lots of different reasons. I've never seen a case where the American government have gone after an organised crime gang, offered huge amounts of money for information on them, and these people have went off into the sunset and continued on with their activities. If you look at the past cases of uh, criminals that have been subjected to this type of attention, people like Pablo Escobar, El Chapo, people like that, they inevitably either get killed or end up in prison. And there's a belief now, certainly in Ireland, that this is the fate that awaits the Kinahans, although when or where that happened remains to be seen. While Christy Kinahan Sr. may have kept a low profile, one of his sons, Daniel, has perhaps tried to rehabilitate himself and become known as a boxing promoter referred to by one fighter as being the most powerful man in the sport. Daniel Kinnan became a central player in international boxing promotion over a period of years. And this is pretty typical of an organised crime figure. Many of them, when they reach a certain wealth and status, they transform or attempt to morph into legitimate industry. And the chosen industry that the Kinnans tried to move into was sports promotion. And he seemed to be dealing with some of the biggest promoters in the world. Bob Arum, uh, the American promoter, for example, uh, knew him quite well. Our relationship with MTK has been tremendous and particularly with Dan, who was the original founder of MDK and now is still an advisor to them and uh, is, in effect, our advisor uh, regarding the Mideast. If you Google his name, you will see lots of different, very influential figures in boxing, often praising him and the advice that he gave them, and indeed Tyson Fury. The world heavyweight boxing champion 
at one stage issued a social media post where he thanked Daniel Kinahan for all the help and advice he'd provided. Hello there. I'm just after getting off the phone with Daniel Kinahan. Uh, he just informed me that the biggest fight in British boxing history has just been agreed. Get up there, my boy! And indeed, Daniel Kinnan has appeared with some of the most well-known boxing personalities and professional fighters in the world on their various social media feeds. So he became a central figure in all of this and indeed was putting some huge uh, fights together, uh, some of which didn't come off. But at the same time, he was being named openly in the Irish courts as leading an organised crime gang and being involved in drug trafficking and murder. So it was very odd to see this kind of this strange nexus of professional fighting and organised crime and how closely aligned they had become. Since the announcement of the American sanctions, a number of boxing figures have distanced themselves from Kinahan, including the promoter Bob Arum and Tyson Fury. What a man does in his own business is none of my concern. I'm a boxing man. I don't get involved in anybody's business at all. If you if you want done whatever you done, I don't care what you do. It's none of my concern. I'm only concerned about what I do, and I don't do anything apart from box. End of. So you won't be dealing with him business wise going forward. Um, I haven't done any dealing business with him in the last for, for a long time. Uh, I think there was a statement released in 2020. So that was the end of the business. The fight with Joshua didn't happen, and that was it. Coming up, where do the sanctions leave the Kinahan crime cartel? But first... Hello, my name is John Cantley. I came to Syria, where I was subsequently captured by the Islamic State. John Cantley sat in a darkened room. It was the first of a series of seven such videos. Maybe I will live and maybe I will die. Last Man Standing, a new eight-part investigative series, begins this Friday with me, Anthony Lloyd, war correspondent for The Times. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I 
suppose the phrase that keeps going round and round and round in my head is hiding in plain sight. That there is an awareness of what is going on here, and yet there is a either an inability to do anything about it or an unwillingness to do anything about it, both on the part of the public and, and I suppose, law enforcement to a lesser extent now that there is uh, rewards out for information. But do you see what I mean, John? That, that actually this is everyone's fully aware of what's happening. I think matters reached a stage in Ireland in the past two years where the Irish government had to get involved in this. There was a realisation amongst the Irish security services and indeed the British security services that they simply could not take on this gang without building an international coalition of partner agencies and the American government and their law enforcement agencies. Organised crime groups, when they become really big, they all tend to follow a number of different routes. They either uh, morph into legitimate businesses or they implode or their top-tier leadership gets imprisoned or killed and a new leadership takes control. I think what was happening with the Kinnahans was, much to the angst of law enforcement agencies right across Europe, was that they were morphing into legitimate business. I should also state that they had also started cooperating with pariah states. For example, one of the big factors that prompted the US authorities to actually go after them was they had been linked financially to Iranian intelligence and they were laundering money for them. They had become something that was almost difficult to comprehend for many law enforcement agencies across Europe. They're that hybrid criminal operation that some of it is illegitimate and some of it is criminal. So there was a great degree of frustration in terms of dealing with this group. But one of the biggest frustrations that the Irish government and certainly our intelligence services had was the fact that the international sports world seemed to ignore this. So whilst Daniel Kinahan and his cohorts were being named as serious criminals in the Irish courts. Welcome back. Daniel Kinahan, who has been identified in the High Court in Dublin as a senior figure in organised crime, has said he's not part of a criminal gang in Ireland or anywhere in the world. You could switch on uh, a television broadcast later on and one of their fighters would be engaged in some mega deal with some US fighter. Of course, Kinnan was always able to say, I have no criminal convictions, and that his word was good enough for many of those involved in it. Ironically, when the US Treasury imposed their sanctions, that ended that, and many of his former friends have now cut their ties with him. But it was quite difficult for people to watch that. And one thing that I took from it was is that people really, when it gets into that sort of wealth and money, they don't really care who's involved. The only thing that stopped all of this was really the, the sanctions imposed by the American government. As we begin then to consider sanctions, I want to, we'll understand that a bit better in a moment, but up until the point of sanctions and appearing on the most wanted list and uh, and having uh, rewards put out for the three at the top of the Kinahan cartel, what has their relationship with law enforcement been up until now, both at home in Ireland and elsewhere as well? What I always believe is that Kinnan understood the way security services and intelligence services work. He understood their motivations. He understood that you could set people up for them and they may turn a blind eye to your own activities. And it, he was very clever and the gang is very clever insofar as that international drug trafficking wasn't an issue for the Irish state. 
it only became an issue when they started sort of supplying drugs into the Irish market. So when you talk to certainly police officers about this now, they will often look back at that time. uh, And this isn't real common knowledge, but they will often say, you know, maybe the officers that thought they were doing the right thing by dealing with this group and using information they provided and maybe not taking the absolute robust approach that they should have taken to tackling this group, there might be a sense of embarrassment about it. Indeed, one officer, I remember him saying to me that we just created a monster whom has got completely out of hand. Let's start to consider where we're at now then with sanctions, with the pursuit of the Kinnahans. First of all, tell us about the announcement around the sanctions and the pursuit of them. There was a huge press conference. I attended that press conference, which was held in Dublin City Hall. That was quite symbolic. I have to admit, when I was invited to this, I thought this was a piece of theatre. I thought this was almost like from The Wire, the famous scene where it's dope on the table and you've seen your police officers saying what they're going to do and, you know, what they're seizing, et cetera, et cetera. But as soon as I started listening to what was actually being said... I stand before you as a member of the international law enforcement community, pledging our continued commitment to relentlessly pursue, investigate, and bring to justice members of the Kinahan Organized Crime Group. And certainly some of the briefings that was given and interviews that I did, it became really clear to me that the Irish state, its security services, and indeed people from the National Crime Agency and other American law enforcement agencies were taking a very, very different tack to this. They were far more interested in appealing for information that could possibly see these people imprisoned. There was a genuine sense that this group have become something that law enforcement agencies individually can't deal with and confront and that's what's required to target them and to take them out of operation is a combined effort and and an alliance of law enforcement from around the world and that just shone true in the space of a half an hour life for the kinnahans changed dramatically although they have a billion in assets although they're in dubai which officially doesn't have any sort of extradition treaties with European countries or the United States or whatever, you can kind of see that they've made the classic mistake of personalising their power in terms of the very name of their criminal organisation is the Kinahan Cartel. If I asked you who runs the Sicilian Mafia or one of the other mafia groups in Italy or even some of the big Mexican cartels or cartels in Colombia, You'd be hard pushed to tell me who actually controls them, who directs their activities and who is the most powerful criminal in those regions. But the Kinnans, their name is now their brand. And that is quickly turning into the biggest Achilles heel that they have. Where this renewed focus by international law enforcement leaves them, however, is yet to be seen. There's lots of different things could happen to them. I should also state that it's entirely possible that they may relocate to somewhere like Russia or Venezuela or take up residency in some country that is regarded as a pariah state. But then, you know, these are three Dublin men. Would they really want to live in Moscow? Would they really want to live in Venezuela? Would they really like to live in Tehran? I'm not sure they actually would. 
If I may, John, you seem quite intrigued, quite fascinated by the Kinnahins. Have, have they become something of a, I don't know, a, a journalistic obsession for you? The Kinnahins are very unusual, and I would regard them as almost unique. They have managed to attain a status that, that I haven't previously encountered with organised crime gangs. They're really like a James Bond villain at this stage. I was talking to someone recently who was kind of giving me sort of the lowdown on the sheer variety of crime that they're involved in. The guy who's a very seasoned intelligence officer said to me, you can pretty much say anything you want about them. They're involved in everything. And that wasn't past remark or anything like that. That was a proper intelligence assessment of this group. I always feel with the Kinnahans that criminality is a form of identity to them. Power and wealth is a form of identity and respect to them. When you've got a billion, you can live quite comfortably from that. I have that in good authority that they don't really need to continue with their illicit activities, but they do. And they do because it's their identity. It's what they built themselves. Their whole life revolves around this. And I think that story is just fantastical in every respect that they've managed to do this. They've become almost so big that they became too big to topple. But as we all know, when you're too big, governments have to take action against you and take you down. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald. Our guest today, investigative journalist for The Sunday Times, John Mooney. You can read more of John's reporting on the Kinnahins at thetimes.co.uk or in print. This episode's producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have a story you think we should be covering, if you've got an idea for any future episodes or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. I'll see you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.